This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. We're going to continue our study in the the book of Titus, or Paul's letter to Titus. We did an introduction, kind of went over verses 1 through 4, but we're going to look at verses 5 through 9 this afternoon. I'm uh, doing a series on Sunday nights. You're getting the the lesson before they get it on Sunday night, so you're ahead of the game, right? And uh, uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll be doing it this Sunday night. Theo's supposed to be preaching, but you never know what might happen. You always got to be ready. So let's just dive right into it. Now, I want us to begin by reading Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Here we go, God's Word. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Very good. First thing that people generally think about when they come to this is, well, here's the qualifications for or of elders, and also in the First Timothy and in a few other places, Hebrew brings up a couple of things here and there, and we want to combine those things and put them all together to make one full list. And yes, I agree, we ought to do that. But remember. Some of these things are mentioned here in the way they are because of what's happening here at Crete, as opposed to what's going on in Ephesus with Timothy. And we'll get into that here in a moment. And just so you know what I'm talking about, uh, at verse 9 it says, so that he, uh, you need to have these things in verse 9 of, of knowing the word of God, so that he, the elder, will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And we tie that into what Timothy told, able to teach, able to teach. And we'll be getting into that here in just a moment. It's a little different, and there's a reason, and I'll explain that when we get there. But let's start with verse 5. Paul told him, here's why I left you there. Uh, evidently, uh, evidently, both Paul and Titus, they spent time on the island. For some reason, Paul had felt compelled to go on, leaving Titus to finish the job. So he's there to set in order or to make things straight. The NIV uh, has, in some translations of the NIV, straighten out. That is, straightening out what is crooked. And what's going to be straightened out is that which remains. So those matters that were still lacking. And there was a lot of lacking 
and the congregations on Crete. As we work through the letter, we'll see that. You, uh, they need strong Christian leadership. They need productive Christian living. And chapters 2 and 3 cover some of the things lacking in those congregations. But the most pressing matter was to appoint elders in every city. This had been Paul's own practice. Uh, we see that in the book of Acts. After establishing congregations, he would go back and appointed elders in every church. Let's look at that word, appoint. It's a compound Greek word. Uh, one part means make to stand, and uh, the other word means to assign someone a position of authority. So the same word is found in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. I think I have that up here. Oh, I do. Where it's written, this is talking about the choosing of the seven to help uh, with the work so the apostles wouldn't be pulled away from their job. And it says, Therefore, brethren, select um, from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. That's what the apostles told them to do over there in the book of Acts. Now, in that text, the selection and the putting in charge were two different actions, weren't they? The members of the congregation were to do the selecting. And then the apostles would do the appointing. Titus was not instructed to select the leaders, but rather to appoint them. All right, we don't see him being told to select, but to appoint them after they were selected, as noted by uh, Robertson in his in his works. Um, now he is going. He needs to teach, show, uh, explain to them, and show them just like the apostles did. Here's what you're looking for. Then they would select men they thought, hey, these men fulfill these positions. And I, if I were Titus, I would go and, and examine these men. And before I do any kind of appointing, I would make sure. And if they were not, I'll, I'll tell them, well, he does not qualify. Look, look here. Now, find men who qualify. Here's what you're looking for. And try again. Sounds a little harsh. I wouldn't do it just like that probably, but nevertheless, that's the two actions going on there. So those who that Titus was going to appoint are called elders. Now, some want to say the term elder here for the church means uh, a someone who's mature spiritually. And, and you know, that might be, that might be. That's not how I see it, though. Um, I don't think... The, the Christians there on Crete would understand the word used in that way. I think when they hear that, they would think, okay, for us, when I hear elder, or if I, and when we use the term uh, in the secular world, we know what it means. We mean, it means someone who is older, physically older. They've been around the block. They're our elder. I think that's how they would have viewed that as well. Just like when they see the word overseer in chapter, in chapter, in verse 7. Uh, it means someone who's overseeing the flock. Um, that's also where they get the word bishop from. We'll get in that word here in just a moment. But I think elder is just the first qualification. You don't choose a young buck, okay? It's got to be a older man, someone who's been around. And here are some things that they need to have in their life. As Paul directs Titus here. So I don't. I mean, I'm obviously you want someone spiritually mature, 
we see that from the qualifications, but I think the term elder just represents uh, um, physically older. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with people saying uh, spiritual maturity because you want that too. Yes, ob- of course. But I know some older folks who are not spiritually mature and some really young folks who are very spiritually mature, but I would never make them an elder in the church. Okay? I would not do that because they are not old enough. All right. But maybe I'm, I could be wrong with that, but I don't think I am. All right, let's look at uh, some more of this. So he is to be, Titus is directed. He's, uh, Paul had evidently given some verbal instructions to Titus regarding this earlier, but now he's putting the directive in writing. And the written instructions would have been as much for the benefit of the Christians there on the island as it was for Titus. Now some, some say that this is a reprimand to Titus. I, I think I've even said that in the past, but I'm changing my mind on that. Uh, they'll say things like, you know, why haven't you done this yet, Titus? Get to work, buddy. And I, yeah, I'm pretty more I think about it. I think I have done that. Uh, thinking he was uh, preoccupied with arguing against false teachers and that this was diverting him from his primary responsibilities. But at any rate, it's obvious that Titus had a lot to do and a limited time in which to get it done. So I, I wonder if maybe Paul is just saying, hey, T- uh, Titus, you need to get this done because... I need to send you somewhere else, maybe. I don't know. But the oh, I don't think he's reprimanding Titus. I think he's just trying to push him along and say, hey, we need to get this done. Time is running short. So let's jump down here to verse 6, shall we? Uh, where you get the added word in the New American Standard, namely, it's not found in the Greek. It just goes straight into, if any man is above reproach. Okay, if any man is above reproach. Let's look at the above reproach and then we'll go backwards. Uh, again, another compound word in the Greek. Um, that means cannot be called to account or blameless, not not sinless. But this is talking about how people view him uh, in the uh, in society, I think. And this is one of the qualifications given for deacons in 1 Timothy 3.10. It's the same one of the qualifications given for elders also in 1 Timothy 3.2, where a different Greek word is used there. But it does not demand that a church leader be perfect, but it does require them to be a person with a good reputation and nothing to hide. No ugly stories concerning this person is circulating in the community. So it's important that, uh, that this is uh, given, and it's so important that Paul gives it again in verse 7. So he says here, if any man is above reproach in verse 6, verse 7, for the overseer must be above reproach. So he, he says it twice. Now Paul emphasizes the need for a godly family man. If any man is the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dispensation or rebellion. Husband of one wife, right? Uh, did I skip something here? I feel like I skipped something. Well, I don't know. Maybe I have it somewhere else in my notes, but I want to go back. I want to look at that word, if any man is above reproach. The word man there in verse 6, it's not in the Greek. It's actually literally someone, and it's singular. Um, I really thought I had this in my notes, but what he's saying there is not 
uh, some some will try to say, well, it's someone that this could be a woman or a man. No, uh, the word elders is in the masculine. The word someone's in the masculine. The husband of one wife indicates masculine. And I know we live in an age where people can identify as all these different things, but we know what they meant. We know this is a man, only a man. And even though we're in the singular now, you're appointing elders, multiple. you got to have more than one. It's plural. And just because he's gone to the singular in these verses, it, that doesn't mean it can be just one person. Because when you're appointing elders, you're not saying everyone needs to collectively have all these attributes. Each one of them needs to have these attributes. Okay? All right. So... Looking at the need for a godly family man. The husband is uh, of one wife having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. So, literally, their husband of one wife is one woman man. Uh, again, same requirement we encounter in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Now, some struggle with an interpretation here, thinking, okay, a one woman man, that means you could have never married another woman. If your wife has passed away and you remarried, you can't be an elder. Uh, no, I don't think so. Because if your wife passes away, God makes the separation there and you can remarry. And you would still be the husband of one woman. One woman. Okay? Now, if you divorced that woman, and you remarry, and it was not for biblical reasons, God would see you as having two women. <laughs> and remember what Jesus said? You're right for saying you're not married, for the man you're with is you're not your husband, for you have had five. <laughs> she was not a one-man woman. And so, one woman man, I see as, biblically speaking, they are with one woman. Okay, that's how I see that. Uh, so, uh, but I know not all current, not all see it that way. So you got to look at that, study that out. Uh, the literal translation of children uh, who believe would be believing children. They're believing, and these children. We'll get into uh, that here in just a moment. But these are uh, can also be translated as you know faithful or trustworthy. Uh, if used in that sense, in Titus 1.6 could mean faithful to the Lord, or it could mean faithful to their father's leadership. And I think it's talking about faithful to the father's leadership. Uh, if the father is faithful to the Lord, the children are going to be faithful to the Lord. They're going to follow his lead. And I think that, that ties in more naturally with what follows, Okay. Uh, the behavior of an elder's children should be such that they are not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Man, that's important. These are not terms describing the normal ups and downs, uh, you know, the good old days and bad days of family life. Rather, dissipation and rebellion are intensely strong terms. And they describe children that are out of control. For example, dissipation is debauchery or wild living. The, an adverb form of the same word is used to describe the prodigal son who squandered his estate with loose living, over in Luke fifteen thirteen, The word rebellion 
is a stubborn refusal to submit to authority. Stubborn refusal. Over in 1 Timothy 1.9, Paul applied this ugly term to the false teachers. So when it talks about the children uh, who uh, are, are not accused of dissipation or rebellion, this isn't your kids run around the church building all day. You tell them to stop running and they keep running. How could you possibly be an elder? Wrong. That is not it. This is uh, a kids, uh, children who, I mean, they have left. They don't attend the services. They don't listen to their father, even though they, they live in a house. And they are wild living. They have a bad reputation. And it's pretty clear they're not following the father. And they're not following God in heaven. So having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, is basically the same as the qualification in 1 Timothy 3, 4. An elder must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. So the primary reason for these requirements is found in the next verse there in Timothy, where Paul said, wrote, wrote to him, But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Good question. (laughs) Exactly right. A secondary but important reason might be added related to the island of Crete. Cretans needed leaders who could model what is involved in being a Christian husband and father. And we'll see that over in chapter 2. So the question is often asked, what about the children's behavior after they leave home? home? Good question. Now, where is that line? <clears throat> Did, actually, let me, let, me, let me put it like this. I have heard and I, I've been witness to in my younger years of elders stepping down from the eldership because their 40 or 50 year old children fell away. They stopped being Christians. They, had, they were Christians, and they were very faithful children in the household, and perhaps even after they left for many years. But now that they're on their own, they are no longer under the authority of their father. They're no longer under the authority of their father, okay? It is not. Now, if that creates... Part of the family is creating issues for the church in the community or within the congregation, then perhaps maybe that man should t- consider stepping down. But having children who fall away after they grow up and make their own decisions, that is not disqualifying you from being an elder. I know that. Okay, that's what this is saying. The term children here is young minors. They're in the the father's household, okay? And man, I just, uh, so many good men, I think, have stepped down because of a misunderstanding of this passage. Now, we're at 19 minutes, so I need to move on. But let's, uh, uh, if you have more questions about that, bring it, uh, bring it. I do want to end with this. Does a man uh, have family problems that would affect his influence in the church and in the community? You need to ask that question. If their children are no longer in his household, but they're out there on their own, and they're creating issues for the husband where he was constantly pulled away or creating issues on the, his image and reputation, then you, you need to look into that. Maybe ask them about that. And you need to make a common sense decision concerning what the Bible says. Verse 7. 
Let's move on. As Paul moved on to general requirements for the elders, here you have qualities every Christian should have, and this verse begins with the gar, because for the overseer must be, must, just as uh, Paul wrote 1 Timothy 3, 2. These are not suggestions. They must be. The overseer and the elder are the same position. It's the same position. And here it is. There's my notes on, on elders, plural, and overseer, singular, where people will sometimes say, oh, they're two different positions. They're not. Uh, and I already went over that. We're not going to do that again. So GAR points to the reason for something. Here's why it's important for an elder to be above reproach. He must be above uh, uh, reproach as God's steward. Uh, it that designates a house manager, right? Elders have been given the responsibility of managing God's house, the church. It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. We see that over in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Someday, elders are going to have to give an account for their stewardship. So Paul explained what is included in being above reproach. And the list required qualities that is similar to what we saw in 1 Timothy. But some of the terms are, are, are different. And it starts off with the negative. You got five vices. Paul started with the characteristics of an elder overseer should not have. An overseer should not be self-willed. One who is dominated by self-interest or is inconsiderate of others. An overseer should not be quick-tempered. Um, they, that, that's talking about our anger toward other people. We need to be patient uh, toward them. And even not anger toward God's word, obviously, James 1.19. But I think he's talking about toward the congregations and those whom he's overseeing. Don't be quick-tempered. Be calm. Be patient. And you got uh, not addicted to wine. Uh, is that right? Yeah, not addicted to wine. Not addicted to wine. Now... A lot of people say no alcohol at all. Uh, addicted to wine means you can't hold yourself from it. It's my, my opinion, don't drink it at all. Stay away from it. But I cannot say that verse 7, not addicted to wine, is telling you you cannot drink an alcoholic beverage. It doesn't say that. It says you cannot be addicted to it uh, because it interferes and affects your ability to think and reason clearly and make right decisions. Um. So if you want to be an elder, I, I encourage you to stay away from it. Just stay away from it. It, car, it causes problems. Uh, pugnacious refers to an individual who is always ready to fight, either physically or verbally. So don't do that. Can't be fond of sordid gain. That's shameless greed for money or fond of dishonest gain. Don't be that way. Again, how can an elder manage the house of God if he cannot first manage himself? Uh, verse 8, you got six virtues that are in the positive. Hospitable, uh, you know, loving uh, and a friend to believers, especially strangers and foreigners that may come to visit. Uh, you have loving what is good. Uh, in the Greco-Roman world, this word, a Greek word, was used to describe an especially respected and responsible citizen. So here we have a word that it's found frequently in, in inscriptions and in, uh, in praise of worthy people, but the idea is generic. The King James has a lover of good men, but the term includes any and all things that are good, kind of like what, what Paul writes about in Philippians 4.8. I'll let you look that up on your own. Uh, 
The next positive trait, being sensible. An elder must have a good sense. He needs to think before he acts. Um, they need to be just, devout, self-controlled. The elder is to be right regarding others. He's just. Regarding God, he is devout. Regarding himself, he is self-controlled. And then verse 9, Paul emphasized that an elder should be a godly teacher. Many responsibilities are included in overseer uh, concerning the congregation. But on the island of Crete, none was more urgent in protecting the fledgling members. Over in 1 Timothy 3.2, he is able to teach. Here he is able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. It does not mean that elders need to teach each and every Sunday. Uh, over there in uh, Ephesus, they're able to teach. You know, if if the need arises, is the way I see that. Or if they are able, to, if they are able to teach every Sunday uh, or Wednesday or all that. That's fine too. That's good. But if they are asked a question, if they need to uh, approach members of the congregation or a member of the congregation approaches them, they're able to impart faithful, sound, healthy doctrine to that person in a way they understand. They are teaching them. So not necessarily a minister or preacher position, but able to impart the truth. I think sometimes people are like, why don't the elders ever teach Bible class? They're supposed to. It's part of their job. No, that's not what it says. Are they able to teach? Ours are. I've seen it. True, one is much better at the pulpit ministry than the other, but they both are able to teach. The one who can't doesn't really necessarily get up in front of the whole congregation and teach class, but I have seen and watched and heard him teach. He knows where. If someone brings him a question or come, he can do it and impart those things to them. He's a qualified elder. And that wraps it up. Uh, there, there's so much more, but of course, you know, we're always limited on time. But we're going to keep working through the book of Titus. But go back, read through these things, and hold to what the Word of God says. Don't add to it and don't take away. And make sure you always look at the situation. We didn't get into it, into it too much, but there's a difference of what's going on here in Crete than what's going on in Ephesus. So Paul emphasized things a little bit differently, and there's a reason for that. Well, I want to wrap things up. Keep on keeping on and make the most of every opportunity. Thank you, and God bless. Sending up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again and others, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com.